the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. As we roll into the third half of our uh, three-hour tour known as uh, the Tom Sumner Program and the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics with our our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Welcome back, Paul. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, sir. And joining us for today's edition of Armchair Politics, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Bobby, welcome back to you as well. Thanks so much. Thanks Glad, so to be here. Glad to be here. And there's that echo again, but uh, we're, we're going <laughs> to press on. Um, I mentioned earlier that we were going to get to uh, talking about the uh, shift in Michigan's population, which actually uh, grew 2% between the 2010 and 2020 censuses. Most Michigan counties, however, lost residents, according to uh, data released Thursday. Of Michigan's 83 counties, 50 lost residents over the 10-year period, and no counties lost residents at higher rates than ones in the Upper Peninsula. there telemarketer i think um let's see uh michigan well, the upper peninsula is losing populations faster yeah michigan's yeah, fastest shrinking great. counties in percentage terms were loose county in the uh, eastern up where the population dropped almost 20 percent um, i think there was one county with the growth of the rest were all lost up in the up yeah, Ontonagon County in the western UP slipped uh, 14.2%. Um, 
Gojebic County in the western UP lost 12.5%. Uh, Isabella County in the central lower peninsula, where the population dropped 8.4%. And um, Barriga County in the western UP, which slipped 7.9%. Though the above five counties shrank the most in percentage terms, none of them was tops in Michigan for losing the most residents. That distinction goes to Wayne County, which lost just over 27,000 residents when its population shrank 1.5%. Next was Genesee County, which lost close to 20,000 residents, according to the data. Um, my question was initially, and we already kind of started rushing into it, is are you surprised by population declines in the UP? That's yes, been going on for I a am, long time, hasn't but, it? That's, they've been losing population for, for years, haven't they? I, with but, a few local exceptions here and there, I think the one of the university towns had some growth up there. But other than that, I think it's been losing for quite a while. But that's because of job loss. And uh, right. they don't, right. you know, there's mining anymore. They have a uh, little farming. Uh, tourism is the only thing. That's the uh, thing that keeps them f- afloat. Uh, and then there's the, and some of those counties have the highest student performances in schools. Uh, they don't get the big dollars that we get from uh, Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb County. But some of those kids are really smart up there and do when you look at the statistics and compare them, they do quite well. Interesting. But point. then they don't they don't get the dollars, the the you know, the support dollars to um to revitalize their schools and stuff like yeah. that. So that's probably causing some of that shift. Didn't there used to be a pretty big timber industry up there? That was that was it also. But now the, that industry is now mining water. <laughs> yeah. you know, we have these investors that go up and, and, and invest in underground pools of water, and they sell the bottles of water, and they sell the water. Yeah, they course, fill up course, those with, little bottles. Maybe with, with global warming, maybe we're going to have palm trees and people going up to the UP for beaches on Lake Superior. <laughs> well, I've, yeah, I've, I've seen the people UP speculate about again, that. Guys, that remember the UP shall rise again. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I have no I doubt it will because I hear it's beautiful. Gets any hotter down here? I'm headed there myself. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, you know, I remember my dad. My dad was a musician, and I remember a couple of times he played a job up in Iron Mountain, Michigan. Yeah, that's a beautiful country there, Iron Mountain. I was on yeah. a Michigan travel commission, guys. And I traveled all over the state. I love Michigan. Yeah, I've, I've been through almost all the UP one one time or another, and it's 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 a beautiful place. Yeah, I was talking uh, to somebody from Reader's Digest. They put out a book uh, on um, the most scenic drives and and road trips you could take, and and there were a couple. Uh, Two or three references to the Upper Peninsula in that book. But well, no again, traffic. bottom line is there's not jobs up there right now, so that that, that does explain the job loss. I think or the, the, the population. Traffic, traffic on I-75 here in Genesee County on Thursday, beginning Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, is very very high. Going north, people still love it up north. They're just not spending as much money as people need to 
to keep their businesses operative and pay wages and stuff like that. I was thinking about in, on, the, on the population loss, has anybody done a factoring in of the numbers of people? We had over 600,000 people in this country that died from COVID. And of course, we have people dying every year, but maybe not in those massive numbers. Um, were there some parts of the country more affected by that and, and population loss mm. than others? More counties affected by that, maybe? I don't think Genesee County lost 20,000 people to COVID, but I oh, wondered. Well, yeah, but in some of those, uh, you know, some of those counties uh, in the UP, um, where the percentage was large but the number of people was small, that could be a real factor. And I haven't seen any uh, uh, reports or studies on that. No, neither have I. Uh, that might, you know, that may be a factor of, here and there. But, but it, you're right, Tom. Up, up in the UP, some of those numbers are so small that if a handful of people move out, you get a great percentage loss. Because of the very small yeah. population in some of those counties. And you see, we don't understand the transmission. Uh, UP people are very isolated from us, and you have to have a vehicle to transfer COVID easily. But they had some of the lowest uh, infection rates up there at one time. Uh, so, and that was due to the isolation, I believe. You've had to yeah, go back probably. and look at the statistics. You have to go back and look at the statistics on that. And that, that may still be the case today. Well, Michigan's redistricting commission is back in the news this week. They voted Thursday to hire a law firm whose consideration prompted outcry over the firm's past work, which included defending Republican-drawn maps that courts determined were gerrymandered. The Michigan Independent Redistricting Commission interviewed lawyers from Baker Hostetler to serve as litigation counsel tasked with defending congressional and legislative districts drawn by the commission if they are challenged in court. The firm has nearly a thousand attorneys with offices around the country. The lawyers on the team that would represent the commission are based in Washington, D.C. and Ohio. The members peppered the team with questions about the firm's previous work and ultimately voted 9-2 to to hire the firm. Independent Commissioners Rebecca Zatella of Canton and Anthony Ide of Orchard Lake opposed the decision. Democratic Commissioners Winita Curry and Brittany Kellum of Detroit were absent. During deliberations, commissioners noted that the commission had already requested proposals twice for litigation counsel. Baker Hostetler was the only firm that applied. And I remember bringing that up a week or two ago, wondering mm -hmm. if, uh, if that were the case. What does it say that only one of that only one firm applied to represent the redistricting commission? I mean, is that a very specialized area of the law where there's not very many folks doing it? That was one thought I had. I mean, maybe there aren't. It, it strikes me as a very specialized kind of legal practice. But it, it struck me as unusual that only one firm would, would respond. Maybe they didn't I, think I, the budget was big enough. Maybe that's maybe true. they didn't yeah. think they'd make enough money. Yeah, yeah. I I thought about this for a long time, and as you know, um, inside governance of businesses, school districts, all of those, the politics inside those, if you call them communities, uh, cannot 
solve their problems. In many cases, they have to get a consultant. And I think that this, this is only so that people will listen to a consultant, but they won't listen to each other. We've seen that happen over and over. That happened at General Motors for the same reason. We had to hire consultants to come in and tell us what uh, we needed to do because the politics inside gets so strenuous that you can't deal with it. School districts are the same way, and everybody else is the same way. Churches may be the same way, but they struggle along. But, uh, and I don't see this as a surprise to me. I think it's, it's a great thing because now they'll listen to someone and then they'll decide on just hear both sides of the argument and then they'll deliberate from there. Well, I, I assume these folks listening? know how, how gerrymandering works pretty well. So, I, I mean, I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'd be, be cautious, but as I say, because they, they know how gerrymandering works and they've defended it so often, maybe they know the system well enough to take the other side. I've often argued that sometimes the, the best defense lawyer is somebody who's once been a prosecutor. So maybe they can work it out if they can actually take the other side and not work in favor of gerrymandering. Uh, but I'll well, be I was, cautious. I was, I was asking Henry if he thought that instead of just being available for litigation, that they would also serve as advice advisors? Yes. Yeah, that's what they do. Because inside politics won't let each other work together and reasonably uh, walk through arguments on both sides. They tear themselves down. And when a consultant comes in, he says, well, I've taken a look at that. I studied this, and here are some of the strong points of A and some of the strong points of B and so on and so forth. Now, we suggest that you do this, this, and this. And pretty soon you've got people whose ears are open, and they listen to it, and they can reasonably walk through it. That's a strange thing about human behavior and groups that have to augment uh, policies or discuss policy and put in new framework. Uh, it's, it's the thing to do. We can't do it with our politics. You know, you know and on the very point, one thing I've noticed with the whole redistricting and gerrymandering and so forth is that for the Michigan congressional districts, Dan Kildee's district is the one that is the most... The, the, the most below the expected the, the expected average, he's going to have to pick up almost a hundred thousand more people somewhere along the way, and that that may really really give him a challenge next time around, depending on how they draw the fifth district. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think they might reach further north? Well, I mean, the the, well, the, the problem is that that for, from Kildee's point of view. Almost everywhere around the fifth district is Republican territory. So wherever you go, probably to pick up a hundred thousand more people, you're looking at traditionally Republican territory, whether it's toward the thumb or further up north or more to the central part of Michigan. I mean, there's all kind of possibilities. Well, but, I'll be looking uh, forward to seeing those uh, first maps when they come yeah, out. Yeah. But we have to take a break here. Um, we'll be back. We've got. Uh, Quite a bit more armchair politics will continue on today's edition of the Tom Sumner program, so I hope you'll stay tuned if you're listening to us on 92.1 FM. We're going to let them uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yellow. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car. Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey. Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. Officials from across Michigan reacted Monday to the death of former Congressman Paul Mitchell. Lawmakers from both sides of the political aisle expressed gratitude for Mitchell's integrity and service representing Michigan's 10th District in Congress and offered condolences to his family, the longtime Republican who left the party last year over its initial refusal to accept President Joe Biden's election win, died Sunday, according to a statement his family released via CNN. Any any thoughts to share? Just a, a decent guy from everything I heard about him. And, uh, Henry may, may, may have met him more often than I have. Sounds yeah, like he's you know, willing to stand alone. Yeah. Well, you you know, and that's the rights of every American. You you're elected. Uh, you also should consort with other people who are of like minds to represent the ideals of uh, the people, uh, the American people. But there are times when you need to stand up to uh, your convictions, what you believe in, and your values. And uh, but people get criticized when they leave. The the flock or the you know they leave the nest and um, Paul Mitchell was a was a very respectable man who had a great mental capacity he had a great focus on good public policy and I liked Paul Mitchell and so did my daughter she had many uh, good conversations with Paul Mitchell and she was very sad when he died. I understand he, he chose not years. to run again because he was frustrated with Washington's in, yeah. inability to, to to function well. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. But people can deviate or vary from the party. Stop and think about if women in this country did not vary from the established domain. They would not have made the progress that they have in this country. There's no type of success like the success that women have had on in this country. You're uh, absolutely right, but I would, I would add, Henry, that people of color also have yes. taken um, a very strong position. Yes, they have. They have an admirable position, and they've had educated people. And people prepare to move into those domains when the opportunities presented. And that's what's great about the contribution of black Americans and Hispanics and other people. You you have to have you have to be prepared. You know, you just can't go out and bring your own stuff in and there are things that you have to learn to work with. You have to work with the system where you find the system. And uh uh if you don't, then there's chaos. Yeah, you don't get good, good good government out of chaos. That's right. Nope. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Paul Mitchell was uh, was on this show when he first ran for Congress, and I remember at the time and for a while right after he got elected, thinking that he was kind of a hard ass. 
and 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 that he was a, a little bit stiff. And I was kind of surprised when he so openly expressed dissatisfaction with the way things run in Washington, and with the party over the uh, refusal to accept the outcome of the 2020 election. Yeah. Well, you know, people can, only, people can only be pushed beyond a certain line when it comes to ethics. You know, I, I believe that um, this country has to have people in both parties that's willing to uh, turn their back to their uh, constituency and look at what is best for the country. Henry, I think I know what you mean, and and I I don't think I would phrase it quite that way. It's it's not necessarily turning your back on someone to disagree or to have Mm -hmm. a a different vision of what's being talked about or considered, and I I think that's more what you mean. Well, that's probably a better way to state it, but the truth is, that's how people perceive it. Um, and uh, they are very unforgiving for that. And this is, a, this is the Achilles tendon for the American democracy. You can't, you can't talk openly and truthfully and with value about, about what's good for the country. And you have more information and you're in a mix with other people who have the same uh, concerns. Everybody would, should love to see the United States be a stable, secure, and valued country for its constituency. Well, what a, great, politics. What a great note to transition on to uh, this story about uh, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul is instructing personnel to destroy sensitive materials as well as items which could be misused in propaganda efforts, according to a management notice sent Friday to embassy staff seen by CNN and and described by another uh, familiar source. The notice about emergency destruction services, in quotes, underscores the dire situation on the ground in Afghanistan as cities continue to fall to the Taliban. The militant group controlled half of the country's provincial capitals, including the second largest city of Kandahar, as of Friday. A diplomatic source told CNN that one intelligence uh, assessment indicated that Kabul could be isolated by the Taliban within the week, possibly within the next 72 hours, but stressed that that does not mean the militant group would enter the capital. Well, I I think we saw what happened there. But has anyone compared the aftermath of the Soviet withdrawal from that region? It was the same thing. The Russians ran them out. I mean, uh, the Afghans ran out the Russians. Although I think uh, same kind of way. Wasn't the Soviet withdrawal a little more orderly? Didn't 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 the uh, take take a couple of years before the Taliban took over entirely after the Soviets left? I I don't have the time. I'm not sure of the time frame here, but I I read up a little bit on it, and, and your your memory is pretty good on that, Paul. Um, there was a lot more planning that went into it, and and one of the groups that the uh, Soviets worked with um, eventually 
morphed into the Taliban or or led to the creation of the Taliban. And so in, I guess in some respects, it it was more orderly, but there was still the sense of of a public relations disaster for the Soviet Union. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think I've seen an awful lot of... uh, government officials trying to to duck questions about the U.S. image in the wake of this, uh, of the president pulling the troops out and the country immediately falling. Um, That's sort of what was expected. We were, American presence is what was preventing that all along. And, you know, it's, it's like pulling your finger out of the dike, I guess. As I say, what, what struck me is that uh, I was wondering whether or not we had any good intelligence. To, not that it would happen, but how quickly it happened. I mean, that they they thought it might be a matter of months or even longer, and all of a sudden, within within days, almost the whole thing collapses. I think what surprised I think I think the big surprise there, um, and and it certainly has showed in a couple of the president's remarks, was that the Afghan people didn't resist. Yeah, the Afghan army did not. And that was President uh, Trump's uh, view of that situation as well. They didn't do enough to fight back. They had to be tough. And, and, you know, it's kind of interesting as you look at this process, the Democrats and the Republicans were aligned in the belief that they needed to leave Afghanistan after 20 years. and nothing had been accomplished. So Well, I'm reminded of Charlie Wilson's war. Remember that? Oh, yes, yes. That's, yeah. I mean, the, the, maybe the worst thing was some of the horrific pictures we saw within the last few days of people hanging, you know, running down the air, the, uh, the runways of the, of the airfields and hanging on the airplanes. Those horrific images really, really defined it in such a negative way. Well, yeah, I but I couldn't help. I couldn't help watching the guys that were busy combing their hair or waving at the cameras. Well, those um, images that you describe, Paul, are reminiscent of uh, of Saigon. Exactly. And 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 I think what what is particularly remarkable is the number of people, including the president, who said ahead of time that we would not be seeing that. Yeah. yeah, No, the, the the images of the helicopters were almost identical. They had the, the kind of side by side images of Saigon in '75 and the helicopters in, in Kabul. You know, the the, the um, one of the things that uh, allowed this event to take place so rapidly is that Afghans Afghans have an image of being killers to kill anybody. Death means nothing to them, nor their own or the other targets. And so as you see them celebrating in victory in uh, certain platforms, they demonstrate that that's how they are. And nothing will stop them. Nobody will defeat them. They're here to stay. Although having said that, there is also a generation that's grown up in the last 20 years in Afghanistan that may have somewhat different views and who knows, maybe more willing to oppose 
some of the harsher Taliban policies. I, I don't know, but there's at least a little hope of that possibility, too. But their images are beheadings and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you went there, you would probably join, join the submission. Uh, I know that's difficult to stand up to something like that. Even uh, if I were there or any one of us and on this platform here were there. We well, the Pashtun, people. the Pashtun are a tribal people. And um, I think that their religion, of course, it's it's their theocratic government. But the people who lived in Kabul and the people who were educated and professionals were not part of that tribe. However, their ancestors were, so perhaps... Yeah. Perhaps there's, it's too far to go. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, the government is not controlled by, uh, the, there are many subcategories of Afghans, families or, or associations, or however they break themselves up. And they're not all together, and they don't all form the same government, legitimate government in Afghanistan. But they occupy different territories, different mindsets, they have different ways of doing things, and they're not together. So uh, when the United States target a place in Afghanistan to attack, um, they're not attacking the real culprits. They may, uh, they're not, you have to get to the opportunist who would like to uh, overtake the legitimate government and fill in the spots. And you have the Shiites and the... Um, um, Sunnis, uh, yeah, yeah, the Sunnis and the Shiites—very yeah. different people. Yeah. yeah, do do you remember years ago there was a popular book called The Kite Runner? I think they made a movie oh, or a yeah. TV. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, I read that, and and I think when you read a book like that, you get a better view of some of the culture and some of the the way that the people relate. In fact, the author was it was in the Genesee County area signing books for. for a few years back, for that for that very book, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing we're learning here is that this, this idea of nation building is a lot trickier than it looks. It's easy to talk about building democracies and all that, but pulling it off. Yeah, well, you know, don't you think it's a matter of timing? I I studied a course in uh, Eastern European communism many years ago, and one of the things we looked at was the failure of the. Um, uprising against the communists in Hungary and yet the success in Poland and the um, the conclusion was drawn that the reason the Polish um, uprising was successful was because it was a coalition of churches academics and uh, labor good good point good point yeah yeah you know uh, talking about this scenario we are so lucky as Americans because look how our, we rose through a constitution and through many, many different people that came here. We solidified the government and the government grew and it uh, became stable for many, many years. It may even still today be considered stable. But, and when you can contrast that to nation building and to other countries, you don't see that. Oh, we have the freedoms of speech and all of the other amenities and protections, and we're um, <clears throat> we have 
lots of natural resources and stuff like that, which may have enabled us to remain safe, uh, stable over so many years. But but it's incredible to make that comparison because if any country should have fallen, it should have been the fledgling 13 colonies. Yeah, and what's wrong? And that and that hasn't been always been a smooth road. We've had our own civil war and lots of other divisions along the yeah. way too. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about the Republican form of government? Was that what saved us? Uh, that could have been because that was the only way that you could over expand our territory, uh, expand democracy over large territories. Uh, yeah. When they they when they systematically frame the philosophy for a republic because a democrat system would never work because uh, you have to elect representatives rather than have 50,000 people <laughs> in Congress uh, doing all the work. Everybody would have been a, a uh, leader under a, demo- a democracy because you would have, uh, well, everybody and, had to vote and, on every issue. In many ways, what we have successfully done is avoided coalition government, which is why we have the two-party system we have now, because we don't have a unitary government. You know, everything is, is divided up with special interests being in yeah. in the different states. Yeah, and it, it's not so much special interest. Uh, it is, and it's not. But there are certain things that we agree on you know, as values for the country. Otherwise, we would fall. But um, but there's something that holds us together. Well, let me, uh, and, uh, on that note, let me move on to uh, another story. Republicans and Democrats are gearing up for expensive battles to influence a crop of contests next year that often go unnoticed Secretary of State races. Former President Donald Trump's persistent and fruitless efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, along with a bevy of new state laws that erect fresh barriers to voting, have put a spotlight on these spots. Outside groups plan to spend millions to sway the outcomes, and multiple candidates are lining up to become election chiefs in the battleground states that will decide the presidency in 2024. In all, 26 positions for uh, Secretary of State are on the ballot next year, 14 of which are held by Republicans and 12 by Democrats. Is wrangling over uh, voting rules and regulations making the office of Secretary of State more political than it has historically been in states around the country? Oh, I think very much so. Yeah, that used to be the most routine kind of job where they just took care of uh, driver license plates and things like that. It was almost a nonpartisan position. In many states. And uh, I would say I would add one more thing. I think one area where Republicans have outflanked Democrats has been in the, st- in the state legislatures and state state offices. That Democrats really need to do a better job at focusing on again legislatures, statewide offices like the Secretary of State, and so forth, because that will be critical in the years to come. Yeah, the Secretary of State become a more powerful position. <laughs> It it used to be almost position. it used to be almost a uh, a nonpartisan job. That's right. Yeah, and they had uh, great respect 
from both parties and the community. As I say, that was the office that took care of license plates and voter registration and routine paper shelving things we thought until until this past year. Well, I think it's because you're recognizing the power of the vote. Uh, I think we are, we knew what the power of the vote was, but we would like to seize the power of the vote one side or the other, and uh, that's bad. No person should have absolute power over the, the vote. It should be, it's got to no, be mutual. Each, yeah, it, well, I think what happens is the individual doesn't recognize the power of their own vote. Yeah, that could be. Well, I, I can probably squeeze one more thing in before we go to break. The New York State lawmakers uh, uh, announcing uh, this week, um, or wait a minute, let me let me restart this. New York State lawmakers will halt the impeachment investigation against New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who resigned this week. Uh, and will leave office on August 25th. State Assembly Speaker Carl Heasty announced um, Friday afternoon. Um, do you think that uh, criminal charges will move forward? Yeah, I think Haven't so. they already been filed? No, I, I think this is a woman's issue here, and it's going to, they're not going to let it go. Probably not. I, I kind of wondered that when he res, when he decided to resign, I kind of wondered whether or not that was in response to something, you know, a, a plea bargain of some sort. I'll, I'll resign if you drop the criminal charges kind of issue. Or, I don't know that's the case, but I just wondered. Well, anybody can sue. Uh, it does not have to be yeah. a system. But a woman or a person, any person, can sue the uh the governor for uh, inadequacies and in carrying out the law, or abusing his authority. Well, and, Paul, uh, I had I had the same thought that you did about uh, his resignation being some kind of a deal, and I suspected yeah. that it was about dropping the impeachment, and then the impeachment was in fact dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's probably been, true. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I the other is cr criminal. Criminal is different. Oh, yeah. But yeah, still, guys, lawsuits can still emerge. Yeah, so civil lawsuits. But criminal yeah. stuff, will, you know, that could be a matter of yeah. who knows. Uh, because the other thing is, by resigning, apparently, I guess it keeps the option open that he could theoretically run again. I don't know if that's a realistic yes. possibility, but I guess that's theoretically possible. Yeah, I think that, was, that would be the motivation for wanting to keep impeachment off the table for yeah. sure. And well, I that, might write a better book. <laughs> maybe that's it, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to take a uh, short break here. We'll be back with the final uh, segment of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. My favorite part, those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files coming up after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. But stay tuned. X-Files coming up on the other side. Hey! Ha -ha! 
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hornets. Dan Sterling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to my favorite part of armchair politics. When we get to the uh, final segment of the show and turn to those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. On Thursday, Dan Ball, a host for the conservative One American News, interviewed Amelia Miller, a woman who claims she became a human magnet after getting the Pfizer vaccine. Miller, whom Ball introduced as a pre-law and political science graduate in Northern California, said she got the Pfizer vaccine in June after coming down with COVID-19 last December. She said that this past Sunday, she started to feel this extremely strong metallic taste in my mouth and remembered previous stories of people who claimed to have suddenly become magnetic after being vaccinated. I didn't believe it, Miller admitted. I thought all these videos were hoaxes. People are doing it, like you said, for social media fame. However, she claims that she was able to stick different types of metal to her skin and within minutes um, had that really strange and strong metallic taste in my mouth. Miller attempted to demonstrate her magnetism, and while one piece of metal did stick, the other fell off. Ball watched Miller's failure to, in gymnastics terms, stick the landing and admitted not knowing how to react. I'm speechless, he said. I'm just going to end the interview right there and say thank you for telling your story. Um, I guess my question is, uh, you've all been vaccinated. Uh, Has anyone noticed any increased personal magnetism? (laughs) <laughs> I, I can't say that I have. <laughs> well, the only thing um, sticking uh, to me is the extra pounds from all of that eating I've done. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Tom, I got some ups and downs in the transmission, uh, and, and I didn't hear everything clearly, but I got the gist of the motion. But uh, I, I, was, I didn't hear everything, so please um, try to... Talk a little louder for me. Okay, I will do that. Um, We'll just go on to the next story. Retiree Alan Slattery, 67, fled empty-handed from a nationwide building society branch in Eastbourne in March after employees struggled to read his message demanding that he hand over cash, according to uh, Sussex police. Later in the month, Slattery made off with 
British pounds, around $3,300 from a nationwide branch in his hometown, St. Leonard's. He tried another robbery at a Nat West branch in Hastings in April, but left with no money. Police later identified Slattery from bank security footage and arrested him near his home. He pled guilty to one count of robbery and two counts of attempted robbery in July. A judge sentenced him to six years. Should Slattery take some writing classes while he's locked up? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then he'd be able to defeat the system. You don't want to educate him. <laughs> Uh, I, I I just I, of all the blunders to you know to to hand a teller an illegible note has got to be one of my favorites. And, yeah, and that that would be my problem with, with my handwriting. I, I could never be a successful robber. <laughs> Maybe he was trying to start a conversation. Maybe that's it. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I I I, I think that the abbreviations that we use on social media are ruining our reading and writing skills, I think. That's also true. I've had to untangle a few of those. Well, here's one. The Barbie Company has created a doll of one of the scientists that helped create the Oxford COVID-19 vaccine in the hope of inspiring girls to get into science, technology, engineering, or math. Professor uh, Dame Sarah Gilbert has been honored as a Barbie role model for her work at the University of Oxford and for her role as project leader in the creation of the COVID-19 vaccine, which is now in use in many countries around the world. Professor Gilbert said, I am passionate about inspiring the next generation of girls into STEM careers and hope that children who see my Barbie will realize how vital careers in science are to help the world around us. Along with Professor Gilbert, Barbie is also honoring five other women who have worked during the pandemic. Is this even cooler than Fauci's bobblehead doll? <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you, if, if, if they make a Barbie out of you, you've really made it. That by <laughs> That's right. But they have to come up with more sensible shoes than the ones she normally wears. <laughs> <laughs> well, it reminded me a little bit of... Um, when uh, uh, Bruce Baum, the comedian, was on my show and talked about having been a, uh, he was portrayed in an episode of The Simpson, Simpsons. They drew him as a, a cartoon character. And I told him, I said, I, you know, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that was made into a cartoon character. He, <laughs> and he talked about how, how cool his kids thought it was. Yeah, yeah it is cool. It is cool. But but being a Barbie, that's 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 a whole next level uh, kind of thing. It is. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, the X Files on Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. We've got about uh, oh two or three minutes left before uh, before we uh, end the show. If anybody has any final thoughts, Henry, I know you always like to weigh in a little bit at the end. But I'll I'll have to think mine through. So um <laughs> So please, somebody else somebody go else. first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I was going to say when we went into the X-Files, I wanted to say it was more like the Echo Files. Yeah, it really is the Echo Files today. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so. Well, yeah, I know I... I turned everything off, including my husband. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> <so smart. laughs> I, I, I couldn't help thinking uh, as we were wrestling with some of those difficulties, and we've had some technical difficulties uh, over the last 30 days or so, a couple of shows that have been a little bit rough uh, uh, for whatever reasons. I, you know, today it was echoes, another time it was static, um, and I'm not sure what that's all about, but it's making me really look forward to a time when we can all sit down in person and do oh, this yeah. show. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to just make one comment. Oh, it's echo. Um, That's okay. Say it twice. When we've had Mark, when we've had Mark Everson on the show, and he's talked about the COVID and vaccinations in Mississippi, this week I was thinking about him when I was watching what was happening there you know, because their hospitals are in bad shape. Yes, that's yeah. true. And in fact, now I think at this point I'm going to be looking at a booster shot fairly soon, like the way uh, from when I first got my vaccination. Um, when did you have your last shot, Paul? Uh, February, I believe, yeah. I think mine, mine was in April, and they're saying... Um, I think the latest thing I read was they're recommending or will recommend that the booster shot be eight months yeah, so from when you it's, it's, became fully vaccinated. So it's it's coming up for you. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> just be careful. We don't want any keys sticking to you. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was going to say, Tom, that I think uh, we had some great discussion of the issues today, and I think uh, as people think about what was talked about, it would spur discussion, we hope. Uh, and I think that as a country, we're on the, the right direction domestically to deal with some of our problems with race and gender and stuff like that. I well, thank you, Henry, and and I think a lot of that, a lot of the credit for that goes to uh, to you and Paul and uh, and and Bobby and others who join us uh, for the roundtable each week to talk about some of these things, and even have some differences of opinion, and still be able to do it, you know, in a, well, a that, common, that's reasonable what manner. Makes it powerful. It's a difference of opinion. It's okay, but we let, we keep our shirts on. That's right, Henry. <laughs> I agree entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not like it's not like we team up and there's the shirts and the no shirts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks again to Mike Smith, who was on early this morning talking about the. 100 worst ideas in history that was a lot of fun if you haven't heard it check it out on the uh, in the archives on the website but thank you bobby clayton walton it's always great when you join us thank you thank you thank you bobby and paul and Carrie, Bye, guys. thank you as well Bye. good night everybody the program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.